Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. The talk tonight is called this. If you're taking notes, this is your title. It's called In Your Heart, Not On Your Nerves makes no sense until the end of the talk. So it's kind of like the spoiler, so you stay with me as we go through. So we're, we're actually starting a new series in Global at the moment on a book uh, called Philippians. So it's a short book in the New Testament, and it's written by Paul, who is currently in prison. Not currently now, he was currently in prison when he wrote the letter. Um, and he's, he's in prison in Rome as well, so he's not even anywhere near Philippi, um, which was a colony of Rome, but he wasn't anywhere near it. So he couldn't visit the people, he couldn't be part of his church, um, he couldn't see the people, he couldn't have like worship like this, he couldn't have fellowship, he didn't have a dinner party to go to or anything like that. He was literally in prison. Um, and yet he writes in this book, it's almost, it's been described as the happiest book in the Bible. For somebody who's in prison, like in Rome, right into a church, he uses words like uh, joy, glad, enjoy, rejoice, and he uses them 17 times, which might not sound like a lot, but if you've ever read the book, it takes you about 15 minutes to read the whole thing. It's four chapters, but he mentions these words a lot, and he's thanking the people there for their gifts, their support, their love, their prayers, and you're thinking, if I was in that situation, my first thought would not be, oh, I'm so grateful for this church. It's like, flipping stuff the church. I'm in prison. This is awful, is what I would be thinking. Not Paul. That's what I would be thinking. But Paul seems to write this letter, which is so happy. And he gives loads of keys to live in a happy life. And you think, how can you do this when you're in prison? It's amazing. On... Um, Saturday night, just gone, as uh, Andy was saying, I run a hog roast business. So me and Big John, we went into this wedding to supply him with a hog roast. Um, and I love going to weddings. It's kind of part of my job, but everyone's so happy at a wedding. If you've ever been to a wedding, it's like such a happy place. Everyone is so happy or drunk, but you can't tell the difference. They just look exactly the same and they're all ecstatic. It's like, this is amazing. They're having so much fun. They're dancing, they're drinking, you know, and you can look at that and think like, oh, I wish my life was like that. But to be like that, you'd have to be at a wedding every single day, which would be quite expensive. Um, so you look at it, but you realize it's the snapshot of happiness. And it's kind of what we see as happiness is often a snapshot. It's often like the Instagram photo where you think, I wish my life was like theirs. Um, you know, you, I don't know if you're like me, but you get to that point where you think, I will unfollow this person very soon unless they post something, a sad face at least, on Instagram. Um, and we often think, like, I wish my life was like that. I wish I was as happy as this person. Um, and then if I, were, if I were to ask you to list a few things that would make you happy... Um, if you're anything like, the, like me, you'd go straight to the material. You'd say, well, I'd like a bigger house. I'd like a faster car. Um, or you might be in the stage where you're like, I'd, I'd like to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Or if you've got a girlfriend or boyfriend, you're thinking, I'd like them to be my husband or my wife. Um, or if you're in the stage where you're married, you might be thinking, I want a family. I want to have kids. That, you know, and we look at the next thing in life and we think, that's going to make me happy. But you ask the person with a big house... Does this big house continue to make you happy? And they think, no, because I have to clean it. And I have to like, and then something goes wrong with it and it's more expensive than when I had a flat. 
Um, oh, you asked the person who's got a fast car, and I was saying the other day, like, um, I mean, the fastest car I could think of is like the Bugatti Veyron. Um, if you've heard, if you know cars at all, I might have lost some of you. Basically, it's just a super fast car. Um, and you think like, oh, that would make me really happy. You know, I know I can't afford one because I like millions of pounds, but what if someone gave you a Bugatti Veyron? You'd be like, this is awesome. I now own a Bugatti Veyron. I am like super happy. And then you drive it and then you realize that every two and a half thousand miles, which for the average person is probably six times a year, you have to change all four tires. To change all four tires on a Bugatti Veyron four times, six times a year, um, it costs $20,000 per time to change all your, all your wheels, all your tires. To service it every year is another $20,000. And also your fuel to top up, you, like to fill it up from like if you ran it to zero and you had to top it up, it would cost over 100 pounds. I think it's like 120 pounds or something to top up your whole car. Now if you want, now as well, if you've got a Bugatti Veyron, you want to run that at full speed. You travel at full speed, you'll run out of fuel in 12 minutes. <laughs> And your tires will last 15 minutes at full speed as well. So then you've got to, you know. So we look at these kind of things and we think, and I know none of us have a big, you know, some of you may do. And if you do, come buy me a drink after. Um, but, uh, you know, even any car and you think, oh, I'd love that car. That would make me so happy. And then you get the car and then you have to pay for the car every month <laughs> for four years. It's <laughs> my story. Um, or you think, I'll have kids, kids will make me happy, and then you have one kid, and then your dream of having a tribe of, oh yeah, when I have kids, I'm definitely going to have three, and then you have one, and you think, oh my life, <laughs> can I give it back? <laughs> I went to Tesco today to, to customer service. <laughs> And uh, I literally, I was, I was going along with the trolley. I had James in the trolley, went to customer service. I said, oh, I've just come to bring him back. And they just they didn't, they weren't amused at all. Like, Where's my audience? Um, but anyway, the one thing most people look for in life is they think, I just want to be happy. I just want happiness. I, do, I just want to feel happy. That's all I want in life. If anything, if everything else goes to the wall, I just want to be happy. And, and you ask people and they're not saying to you, you know, when you're going out and you're trying to invite your friends to dinner party or to church, and it's like, do you want forgiveness? And they're like, no, I just want to be happy. Do you want a savior? I just want to be happy. You know, this is how people are. People look for happiness. I don't know if you've ever seen the film The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. It's a great film. Um, but that is, that is part of the American dream, is this like, we must be able to pursue happiness. And the first thing about happiness is it's not a goal. You can't treat happiness as a goal. See, if you, if you treat happiness as your goal, you will be miserable in life. Because you'll be always looking for, what's that thing that's going to make me happy? Where's that next wedding? I can, where's that next party? Where's that next drink? Where's that next night out? Where's that next thing that's going to make me happy? And you're constantly looking for something to make you happy. See, happiness isn't an attainable goal in life. You can't just seek out to be happy. Because then once you've got the thing that you thought would make you happy, you then realize it's not sustainable. You get the car, and then you have to pay for it. You get the house, and then you have to clean it. You get the, the fame and the fortune and whatever, and then you have to manage that. And, and we all think, because none of us are famous, as far as I, you know, if you are famous, I'm sorry, I don't recognize you. Um, 
But if you were, and you realize when you see people who are famous, and then you, and then you hear of people, um, oh, I've forgotten the guy's name, but I was listening to it the other day, the lead singer from Linkin Park who committed suicide, and you think, how? Um, like, you had all the money, you had all the fame, you had all this kind of stuff, Robin Williams, great actor, and then you think, wh why do people who are seemingly so happy, why are they not happy? Because they've got everything that we want that we think would make us happy. See, the answer to it is not to look for happiness, but to create it. So how do we create it? Because happiness is created by our habits. And now it's like, oh, <laughs> I thought there was just a secret little <laughs> thing that you're going to tell me that was so easy that if I just did this one thing or just thought this way, then I'd be happy. But happiness is a byproduct of good habits. So if you live a good life, you will be happy. I know it's gone quiet because it's like, oh, I just thought there was a drink that I'd never had before that was behind the bar downstairs. If I have it, I'll be super happy. Um, but the thing is that we, we don't run our own lives. Like as much as we think we do, um, I don't know if you find that, the th you know, it says it, I think it's Romans, I can't remember, seven, eight, six, something like that, where he talks about the good I want to do, I do not do, and the bad I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And this is like the conundrum we're in in life, which is that we want to do the right thing, but then we find ourselves doing the wrong thing, and we're like, what is wrong with me? Does anyone know how I feel? Yes, good. We're in good company. Um, but the problem is, is our habits run our life. So our habits are like the foundation. Like if you're a builder, anyone a builder in here? Just put your hand up. Good. I, I am, and I know loads about building. <laughs> I couldn't have done that yesterday morning because there was a few builders in there who actually know stuff. I, I can build Lego, and that's about my expertise. Um, see, the thing about building that I do know is if you're going to build a house, you need a solid foundation to build on. You know, I learned that from the Bible and a song in there as well. Um, sing it. I will do later. Uh, that's a lie. Um, see, the good I want, I wanted to tell the truth. I find myself lying to you. I won't lie for the rest of this. That's a promise. Um, you have to have a good foundation to build on. If you don't have that foundation, the house is going to fall down. Okay? It, and habits are your foundation for life. You can only build on what you do regularly. So if you think of a habit that you do, like, I'm like I'll pick on an easy one because I don't know most of you. I hope that every day you brush your teeth. Yeah? And you brush your teeth because you think, if I don't brush my teeth, um, one, the, you know, I'll, my teeth will fall out or whatever, um, or my breath will sink. That's probably your main one. You think, oh, actually, that's an immediate effect if I don't brush my teeth. So we do every day. And then, hopefully, you have healthy teeth, or healthier than if you didn't brush them. It's a bad example. We'll get on to something better soon. Um, <laughs> So circumstances, so if you aim for circumstances, if you aim for like, oh, if I just had that situation, that would make me happy. Circumstantial happiness, I've, I've called it happenness, is temporary. We're looking for something to happen that will make us happy, but it doesn't. Because once it's happened, then you're in the next stage and you're like, oh, now it, that doesn't continue. So it's like Christmas, which when you mention Christmas in January, it's like a swear word, so I, I apologize immediately, um, but I'm going to talk about it for like 30 seconds. So 
When it's Christmas, you love Christmas because it's like Christmas music's playing. Um, you can have chocolate for breakfast. That's pretty standard and every other meal. Um, and then the smells of Christmas are so good. Or walking through town and all the lights are up and you're like, this is amazing. I can't wait for Christmas. And I've got kids so I can do this. Most of you don't do this. But you creep down on Christmas morning to see if Santa's been. And then you see that he's been. It's like, kid, Santa's been. It's so exciting. Um, and then, you know, you come downstairs and then Christmas dinner's amazing, and they're opening the presents, and it's like, it's super happy, and then maybe you go and see family, and they're like, they're bearable for like, because I only have to see them for 24 hours, but it's like, it's fine, because it's Christmas, um, and you know, it's, it's like, I'm just happy, I'm happy, because it's Christmas, and then January comes, and uh, then you check your bank balance, and you think, oh, <laughs> when is it, when is it payday, and it's one like the 107th of January currently. <laughs> Tax bills due if you you know if you you know fill out a self assessment you feel fat. Not yeah. looking at anyone in <laughs> specifically. Christmas is dead and I'm not a happy bunny anymore. And it's like Christmas has gone and now it's January. And it's like Christmas made me happy, but now January makes me sad. And it's like this is not. How, you know, if we pursue happiness like that, we will always be miserable people. We will end up literally like drug addicts because we'll be like, what's my next fix? What's my next thing that's going to make me happy? What can I grab onto next? And this book of Philippians really tells us this. And, I, you know, it's amazing that Paul wrote this whilst he was in prison. I've never been to prison before. I don't know what it's like, but I imagine it's not great. If any of you have been to prison before, um, then you've been to prison before. <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. Jesus loves you. So Philippians 1, 1 to 11 says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons who's greeting the church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. You think he's in prison. He always prays with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. That's all of you. Like, I don't know how big the church was at that time, but if I were to think of all of you, I don't know most of you, um, then to say that, you know, I'm full with joy every time I think of all of you. He's talking to the whole church, not just talking to a few. He's not talking to his favorites. He's talking to everyone. Every church has got some weirdos in it, right? I know you're like, mm, is that me he's talking about? Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> Every church, you know, anywhere you go, it's like any, you know, if you're in a class at school or at university or whatever, you've always got that one person. Every family's got them. Every church has got them. And he says, every time I think of all of you, it's like, flipping it, Paul. He's a happy man. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you. See how many times he says it? He genuinely loves these people with affection, uh, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'm aware it's quite a bit of scripture, but we'll kind of break it down as we go. Um, 
And this is the thing that most people, you know, when I said before, list those things that would make you happy, we naturally go to the physical or the material things. We think, if I can touch that, if I can uh, be that, if I can, um, you know, if I could have that or whatever, then I would be happy. Whereas Paul starts with relationships. He starts his, you know, his first letter, uh, sorry, his first chapter or the first bit of his letter. He didn't write it as chapters, but the first bit that we're looking at, he talks all about relationships. And that's because he knows and you know that it's impossible to be happy if your relationships are not happy. If you're not, you know, if you were to talk to somebody and they just won the lottery, but they're going through a divorce, they're still not happy. Because relationships are the most important things to us. They're the things in our life that we hold on to when everything else seems to be going wrong um, or when we're really struggling with stuff. We hold on to relationships because they're the most important thing. And he gives in this three relational habits that if you apply them in your life, you will be happy. And it's quite a statement to make. It's quite a promise, but I believe this. And I think that when you see them, First of all, you'll think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then I want you to question, do you do it? Because if you know it, it's like it's up here. So we talk in global about head, heart, hands. So if we know it, it's up here. But information doesn't create transformation. It only creates transformation when it drops to our heart. It becomes part of our value system. It becomes part of what we do, as in it becomes a habit in our life in that we work it out with our hands. So when you hear them, don't just think like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this. Think, do I do that? So the first one is this, have an attitude of gratitude. I just saw a video this morning by a guy called Paul Scanlon, um, who some of you may have heard of. He's uh, like a worldwide speaker in the church world. Um, he, he built a church in Bradford. I mean, literally, like they built a brand new center. Um, he now travels all over the world teaching and preaching and stuff. Uh, and he brought out this little video basically saying the world's greatest antidepressant is gratitude. Just being grateful for stuff makes you less depressed. And the study after study about it, the more grateful you are, the happier you are as a person. And this is where Paul starts in Philippians 1.3. He says, every time you can see it's a habit. He does it every time. I think of you, I give thanks. So an attitude of gratitude. So when you think of people in your life, when you think of your closest friends or your partner or uh, your parents or whatever, do you give thanks? Are you grateful for these people? Now, I've started to do this because I've been reading this stuff. And so um, in our house, we have photos of mainly us because we're very uh, self-obsessed. Um, so there's pictures of the kids, there's pictures of myself, of Vic and stuff. And so I like looking at these pictures and then I give thanks for my kids. I give thanks for my wife. Uh, and the more I do it, the more I love them, the more they're in my heart, the more I'm like, oh, these guys are awesome. But it, it, it becomes then a habit. So when you think of people in your life, do you give thanks? Or do you think, I wonder what they can do for me? Or I can't believe they did that again. Or why are they always late? Or <laughs> how hard is it just to tidy up? Like loading the dishwasher is not a team activity. One person can do this. Um, you know, the, the different thoughts that you have of people. Um, see, the longer you know someone, the more you take them for granted. I don't know if you find that, but I do. Uh, you, you know them, and, and, and you, then you just start to get irritated. Or you, the reason is you focus on the bad, not the good. 
So you used to focus on the good. So let me use the analogy of dating. Um, so you, you date somebody and it's like, you're obviously in that time, you're trying to impress each other because it's like, so nothing's certain at this point. They could walk away at any point. So you're putting your best foot forward. You're buying a new shirt or whatever. It's been a while since I've dated. You buy that new uh, Lynx <laughs> spray or whatever. Um, and then you, you so you're trying to impress them. And... Uh, and, and you put your best foot forward and you're thinking the best. That everything about them is amazing and they're beautiful and all the rest of it. Um, and then you get married and then you have kids and it's 11 years later. <laughs> it's like, oh, my life. Why do they just keep... Oh. And then people who are young look at people who are married and think, oh, what is wrong with you? Like, I thought you were in love. It's like, we are. This is how we do it. We just argue and shout. Um, <laughs> And then make up sex. Hey. Um, <laughs> but the more you remember how they've let you down rather than the good they've done for you, and the more you remember about the, the bad stuff that they do than the good stuff. Whereas if every time you thought of that person, you gave thanks, it would literally change all your relationships. If you were grateful for people in your life, it would literally change your relationships. See, Paul says every time he thinks about the church in Philippi, he gives thanks. And when you look at Paul's story of how he set up the church, and you can read it, I won't go through it now, but it's Acts 16, verses 12 to 24. You know, Paul and Silas went to set up this church in Philippi, and they were, you know, they went, and initially it seemed good, um, and then they were dragged before the magistrates because they cast a demon out of a, a slave girl, which you'd think, that's good, like casting the demon out. He's obviously doing something good. Um, but then he's, he's dragged in front of the courts. And then they're beaten, they're whipped, they're humiliated. Then they're put in prison. And it's like, this is not a good start to a church plant. I don't know if you guys went through that when you started Revs. I'm guessing not. But um, this is what he went through. And now he's thinking, every time I think about you, I give thanks. It's like, so he's got this thing called selective memory. Selective memory is something we can all do. See, your memory, all the kilobytes, megabytes, zettabytes, exabytes, brontobytes, there's a new one apparently, I don't know what it is. I don't even know what they are, to be fair, I just read them on Google. Um, so we've got massive memories, like we can fill so much stuff in and you think, well, I just struggled to remember what I did yesterday. And I know that, but if you'd see a picture of it, it would suddenly come flooding back. Like, it's all there. Our problem is recall. Our problem is getting it to the front of our mind. And, uh, but Paul chooses to remember the good stuff, not the bad stuff. And he went through a lot of bad stuff. See, are you reliving painful memories and struggling to enjoy your relationships? Or are you going to be an overcomer? You know, the Bible says that we are overcomers in Christ. So will you be an overcomer? Will you choose to remember the best and forget the rest. Write that down. Remember the best, forget the rest. It's simple, but it's difficult to do. And that's why you need people around you who are encouraging you. Second point is this. Be positive in prayer. See, when, when Paul talks about prayer in Philippians 1.4, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And it's like, it's... He's glad, he's, he's happy to pray for people. He's not praying those whiny prayers that we pray like, oh God, will you just sort thingy out and will you just help him to stop being such an idiot? Um, I don't know if you've ever prayed like that. 
probably not. It's just me. Um, but that's not a positive prayer. That's just whining and complaining. Um, and I was thinking about this, and I kind of said this in my talk yesterday, and it just came to me, which is like the thing I annoys me most about my kids is whining and complaining. It's the voice that goes, it's just horrible. And then I thought, but we're God's kids. So do we just whine and complain to him? Or do we give thanks for people? Do we, you know, approach him with gratitude and thanksgiving? See, if I were to ask you, does prayer work? Your answer probably is yes. Now, whether you believe that or not, you probably feel it's the right thing to say because we're in church. But it does work. Prayer does work. And if I ask you, does complaining work? Does it change the situation? The honest answer is no, it doesn't. Although we enjoy doing it, so we do it. So, But why don't we do more of the thing that works than the thing that doesn't work? When we, you know, when you look at the Bible like this and you think, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, why don't I do the thing that works rather than the thing that doesn't work? And I know this goes across our whole lives, but let's focus on relationships for a little bit. So just think of someone that irritates you. Don't look at them. Just think of them. Put them in your head. Don't give them the evils. Don't let them know that you're thinking about them. But that person that irritates you just winds you up. Just picture them in your head. And then ask yourself, do you pray for them? The answer is probably no. But if you would pray more, you would complain less. It's like an equation. It's not really a, you know, I'm not telling you off for complaining loads. I'm just saying, if you pray more, you will complain less. Let's go to point three. This is my final point, And that is believe for better. And this is a, it's a relationship thing. So how do you believe for better for people? Because Paul's in a situation where he's writing to the church. He planted this church. He's their pastor. He's their leader. Even though he's in prison, he's their leader. And so he is believing for better for them. And you'll know when somebody believes for better for you, you're encouraged. When you know that somebody's praying for you, you are automatically encouraged and you feel more confident, um, especially if you're going through something or you're about to start something or you're, you're going to start a new job or you want to start a business. And then you find out that people have been praying for you. You feel more confident about doing it because people are praying for you. And Paul says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he believed in people. He believed that God had started something in this church. And even though he couldn't physically be there, he knew that God was in control and he was going to carry it on. And, you know, you've got to know that about yourself, but then you've got to believe it for other people. You've got to believe that that person who's currently struggling with whatever they're struggling with, God has started something in them and he will complete it. It's not up to you to complete it. And sometimes the control freak in us wants to take over and we've got to let God do his work. But you will struggle to change unless somebody believes in you. You know that. I know that. If, if people are always putting you down, you, you, you kind of think like, well, what's the point? We often live up to other people's expectations. And if you, in a good way, put good expectations on people, like, I believe you're going to be better. I believe you're going to go, you know, your business is going to go through the roof. I believe that you'll get married to this person, even though at the moment it looks like you're struggling. I believe this for you. 
You know, when you sprinkle your words with faith and with hope and you give people hope in life, it, it actually changes people. It actually gives them confidence. Um, and it's not about being fake because people would say, oh, well, I just tell it how it is. And I think I get that for yourself, like be honest with yourself. But when you're talking to other people, tell it how it could be. Don't tell it how it is. Tell it how it could be. Give them faith. Give them vision. It makes such a difference. And the last one is be patient with progress. Because people are patient with you. No one's perfect, especially not you. If you insist on perfection, you'll be miserable, right? See, see perfection as like perfect for where they're at now. So when my kids make something for me, like a picture or something, I'll be like, that is amazing, that's perfect. Now, it's not going to go up in a museum now, but for them right now at four or six, that's amazing. What they've just done is incredible because it's progress. It's not where they could be, but it's not where they were. So let's celebrate how far people have come rather than judging them for how far they've got to go before they come up to your standard, which, by the way, is you don't even live up to your standard. I find that of myself. You know, when you're like, you're preaching a message, you think, oh, you need to take notes on this because this is good um, for me. So the key to patience, and this is the last thing of the last thing of the last thing, is Philippians 1.7. Paul writes, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. See, when people get on your nerves, it's because they're not in your heart. And you'll know this about people. When people irritate you and annoy you, it's because you don't have love for them. And love's a choice. It's not like, a, oh, well, I just love this person and not that person. You know, in the Bible, um, God commands us to, to love other people and lay down our lives for them. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we remember that, um, or you, at least you'll have heard that before. But 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, it's not about me. See, if I focus on me and my happiness and, my, and I live a selfish life just looking for happiness all the time, I will be miserable. Whereas if I spend my life trying to lay it down for other people, when people irritate me, instead of having them on my nerves, I put them in my heart and I think I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to believe for them. And this is where the rubber hits the road because it's not easy. These are habits that we've got to try and form. Start with two minutes. Don't start with an hour. Don't think, right, I've got to pray. Um, so I'm going to block out an hour of my time and then pray for him. Just block out two minutes. Everyone has got two minutes spare in their life. Okay? Everyone's got two minutes spare. So start with two minutes. Start to cultivate these habits. If you just do it two minutes every single day, it starts to become a habit in your life. And then it'll grow. Then it might go to three minutes, four minutes, whatever. But start with two minutes. And you'll start to see a change. Just imagine if everyone in this room, if you did it just for your dinner party, if you started two minutes every day and you just prayed for everyone in your dinner party, real quick, um, you pray that they, you know, there's the stuff in, in Philippians. Um, I'll, I'll send it to somebody who'll send it to you. Um, there's, there's different things to pray for. I didn't get a chance to say it tonight, but um, there's different things you can pray for every single person in your dinner party and you will start to see a change. 
From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 